Welcome into the Solo Shot Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Mana. Happy Solo Shot Saturday, everybody. Just a week ago, when I was talking about the clock is ticking, we are inching closer and closer to pitchers and catchers in spring training. The season will be here before we know it, and there's still a lot to be done. This is not what was on my bingo board, but it is easily the most exciting news of the baseball offseason since the Dodgers went hog wild with Otani and Yamamoto earlier this winter. And it's the Orioles. Oh my goodness. People have been sold. Yes. The Angelos family, John Angelo, who is right now the uh, managing partner in his father's stead for the Orioles since he's been in that role since 2018, since his father could not longer do it with age and health and a ownership group led by David Rubenstein, who has a net worth of almost $4 billion, and Michael Arugetti have decided to buy the Orioles with a group of other minor investors for $1.7 billion. Not too shabby, Angelo's family, when you bought the Orioles back in 1993, 10 years off of their last championship, you paid $173 million. So not only have you been running one of the best businesses in the world, a baseball team that is almost always in the black, almost always profitable for the last 30 years, but you have now got a 10 X investment from your initial cost as well. So uh, I'm super happy for the Angels family, but I'm more excited for the Orioles fans. And it's not just because Cal Ripken Jr. is one of the investors. Yes, Hall of Fame Orioles legend Cal Ripken Jr. is one of the minor investors in this ownership group, which is great to see him getting back involved in Baltimore, a place that he is a folk hero, beloved in many ways, especially in the baseball world. But the Orioles, who have had one of the lower payrolls in the league the last seven years, since John Angelos has been running the show over there, they went out there very soon after this announcement of the sale. And they went out and got something that I've been crying from the heavens that this team needs. And they got a number one starter. They traded for former NL Cy Young winner Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers. Details on the trade are infielder Joey Ortiz, who had a little bit of time with the O's last season starting pitcher DL Hall, who has some control issues, but was a highly touted prospect in the O system, as well as the 34th overall pick in the 2024 MLB draft. I saw a lot of people on Twitter unknown that you can trade compensatory picks uh, in the MLB draft. People were shocked. You don't see it happen super often because usually when you get those compensatory picks, they're from losing a player. But the Orioles wanted to get their guy and they went out there and they got one of the best pitchers on the trade market and a guy who I think will fit in to Baltimore really well. It's a baseball town and it's not high stakes like Corbin Burns, who's pitched his entire career in Milwaukee. It's not a huge market. He's not jumping up to a L.A. or a New York or a Chicago He's in Baltimore, which is a great baseball city, but it's not high stakes pressure. It's not constant media raining down on him. 
and he gets to now anchor this rotation that was actually pretty solid for the Orioles last year. Uh, imploded a little bit in the playoffs due to inexperience and just, I think, lack of opportunity in those spots. But now, when you look at this Orioles rotation, Kyle Bradish, who was their ace last year, gets to be a number two. So even if he regresses, he he doesn't have to be that guy for them. Grayson Rodriguez has a great chance to break out this year for the Orioles. I will get to 2024 breakouts in just a bit. And then they have John Means, who came back from Tommy John surgery last year and pitched some innings for them at the end of the season. And you have Dean Kramer, who did not look good in the postseason and has been very up and down as a major leaguer, but he's given you solid innings. He's 28 years old. As a fifth starter, I don't mind him. A lot of teams can do worse at their fifth starter than Dean Kramer. But I do think that now that they've shown this move, this is the move of the Orioles offseason. Selling the team and trading for an ace, that is the move. But I hope it's not the only move. Because so far this offseason, they spent less than $15 million in free agency. They got Craig Kimbrell to come in and be that stopgap while Felix Batista misses the year with Tommy John. They didn't really add. And there's a few things that I think this team could really use without breaking the bank getting up into that like $100 million range. I looked up their payroll. They're currently at $85.6 million on the books for 2024. And you can go out there and sign a Michael Lorenzen-like starter for the first half of the season. Uh, maybe you can rotate him with means. Maybe Grayson Rodriguez starts in the bullpen or AAA if he doesn't have a hot spring. I think they just need one more starter. Because if someone goes down, then you either have to overpay on the open market for whoever's still out there as an arm, or you have to go and trade and use more prospect capital to go and get one. So I'd rather them sign a Lorenzen type now. He even pitched out of the bullpen a little bit for Detroit in Philadelphia last year. So he's someone that can swing. Uh, and I think that signing him now for $10 million versus trading for someone in six months is the way to go. The other move that I would really love to see them do, their outfield is nice. Cedric Mullins, I'm hoping he has a bounce back year for them. Anthony Santander is one of the most underrated players in the game. And Austin Hayes, and they have some young guys coming out, Colton Kowser and whatnot. Tommy Pham seems like a perfect fit for this team. You saw in October, the, the lights were a little bright for some of those guys, their first time in the big show, and that's okay. But Tommy Pham helped a team very similar to that all the way to the World Series last year. He's a professional hitter from everything. Uh, he's a great locker room guy. As long as you don't uh, cheat in fantasy football, he will be one of your rocks. And I just, I picture Tommy Pham as an Oriole, and I picture him hitting some clutch thing to clinch the division or to uh, win a playoff game. I can picture that in my head. And he just seems like someone that would love the fans in Baltimore and the Baltimore fan base would wrap their arms around him. So those are the two moves I'd like to see before the season starts. There's still a lot of talent out there. And I think guys like Lorenzen and fam will get overlooked until the big fish that are still out there land somewhere. So go be aggressive. Get Don't, don't care if you go a little bit over a hundred million you just valued your team at a heck of a lot more than that. So I think that that's the move. And obviously, start looking to extend your guys. Three straight years of the number one prospect in baseball. 
Adley Rutschman is well worth an extension. Gunnar Henderson's coming off a rookie of the year, and Jackson Holiday's looking to be their opening day shortstop. The future is bright. For Orioles fans, I'm so happy for all of you. i got a good friend, Will, and plenty of other Baltimore fans I've interacted with over the years. It, it was dark times there for a little while. I picked them to win the World Series last year. I think I was a year too early, uh, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. And getting Corbin Burns, even as a rental, as that ace, uh, whether they extend him after the season or during the season if he's pitching really well, or they go out next offseason and buy another arm. It'll be interesting to see how the Orioles move forward. I don't expect them to be spending $300 million a season and breaking the luxury tax, but I do expect them to be actual mid-level spenders as opposed to being in the bottom five, six teams like they've been the last seven years. So congratulations, O's fans. Congratulations, Corbin Burns, going from a team that's overhauling to a team that had 101 wins last year. It's just a great situation for everybody, including baseball fans everywhere. Seeing a team like Baltimore that has this young talent built up, has the success in a regular season, and now they're finally bringing those veterans in to hopefully get them to the next level. I talked about it briefly. The 2024 season will be here before we know it. And I thought it would be fun to look into a couple potential breakout players. Now, Grayson Rodriguez is a super interesting case for the Orioles. He is somebody who I believe has number one starter stuff, like top of the rotation, just stuff. But Grayson Rodriguez, it was kind of a tale of three parts in 2023. He started off his big league career not super good. And what he ended up doing was having a stretch later on in the year where he was pitching mid three ERA, 9K per nine, really starting to look like he was coming into his own. And then the postseason. I don't know if he was ready for this, but a 27 ERA in 1.2 innings pitch, he gave up five runs on six hits. He walked four batters. It was abysmal. It was a gut punch to Orioles fans. That Texas offense was amazing. It obviously went on to win the World Series, but that you can't have that kind of performance as a number one guy. And I think that Grayson Rodriguez has been in the lab this offseason. And he's now doesn't have the pressure of having to emerge as the Orioles' number one guy because they brought in a Cy Young winner and Corbin Burns. So Grayson Rodriguez is my AL breakout player this season. I think that he's going to take a step forward. He's going to be in contention for an all-star spot. And he's going to be absolutely lighting it up. This is a guy who struck out 129 batters in 122 innings. So he's an over K per inning guy. Uh, and I think he can get those numbers down with the walks and have a positive ERA plus here in 2024 for the national league breakout player. My heart was telling me to get back on the Jordan Walker wagon. This is a guy who 
is a mammoth of a man, especially in the baseball world, and was a highly touted prospect for my favorite National League team. But there was a guy in the postseason last year that actually impressed me significantly more. And that was Gabriel Moreno. Now, Gabriel Moreno was in the very lopsided trade between the Diamondbacks and the Blue Jays, where the Blue Jays got Dalton Varsho, who was a catcher, but now he's more of an outfielder, plays good defense, has some speed. For Lourdes Gurriel, who was an all-star last year, just got extended, and Gabriel Moreno, who is a true everyday catcher. Some people can say Gabriel Moreno already broke out. He had a four-win season, batting 284 in 2023 in over 300 at-bats, so not a super small sample size. But it was the postseason. It was so many guys on that Diamondback squad, Corbin Carroll, I talked about Tommy Pham, Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, Brandon Fott all had their moments. The bullpen for the Diamondbacks was a huge catalyst to getting them where they did. Could tell Marte had that walk-off. But Gabriel Moreno, Every step of the way in the postseason up till the World Series, he was a contributor. Slugging over 800 in the wild card series, slugging over 800 in the NLDS, batting 296 in the NLCS. This is a guy who only had seven home runs during the regular season, and he had four in the postseason. With great command of the pitching staff, and very nice plays behind the dish defensively. There's not too many true catchers in the game today. Uh, We've seen even this offseason, a guy like Mitch Garver, who barely catches anymore, getting signed as a true DH. We've been seeing that in Toronto as well, where they DH Kirk or Jansen as more of a hitter and a backup catcher. But Gabriel Moreno could be the full package. He could pass JT Real Muto, who had a down year in 2023, and Will Smith of the Dodgers, who have been looked at as the two best catchers in the National League, I think he could be looked at as the true number one catcher in the National League. And I think that's a really special player to have. And I'm so excited for Diamondbacks fans because this is a guy who won a gold glove behind the dish. He's a gold glove defensive catcher. And I think he's starting to figure things out with the bat. A true gem in that trade and getting Lourdes Gurriel, who's been a really great contributor, both in the locker room and on the field with his play. I just, that trade's going to be looked at for years in Dimeback history as a big win. Gabriel Moreno is my National League breakout player. There have been a lot of rumors, more so than signings going around. Uh, The New York Mets, who I am wearing their shirt today, uh, signed Fujinami. Uh, So they have another pitcher added to whatever they want to put on the field this year. But the real reason I'm wearing the Mets shirt is because there's big rumors out there about Pete Alonso's future. Now, I've had the blessing of going to City Field multiple times to see Pete Alonso play. And they love him there. He is on Everything commercial-wise, posters, jerseys, everything. The polar bear, Pete Alonzo, 
He's a true fan favorite, a guy who has come into the league and been a home run hitting machine, but he's kind of one dimensional. He's that three true outcome player where he's going to strike out. He's going to hit home runs. And occasionally he's going to walk three wins a season. Not bad. He hit 217 last year, 46 bombs. He did his job there. But if you just look into the swing and miss, he had his most strikeouts since his rookie season where he led the league with 53 home runs and batted 260 with a 358 on base. In 2023, like I said, he had 46 homers, but 217 average, 318 on base. He struck out three more times than he walked. It's not a recipe for success. And he came up a little older at 24 years old. So he's going to be 29 this season. And I don't know if the Mets want to hand out a contract to him when they're not in contention mode. If the Mets money spending last year when they got new ownership paid off and Francisco Lindor and all of those misfit toys that they had in the rotation with Verlander and Max Scherzer thinking they were all going to beat father time and be the best pitchers in baseball. Still maybe Pete Alonso does get extended and the Mets just say, Hey, like this contract's not going to age well, but he's going to be a fan favorite and he's going to help us win and hit some big home runs in the meantime. But for a guy who isn't, Known for the glove, he has made improvements on the defensive side, no doubt, from when he came up originally. But he's not a gold glove level first baseman, and first base isn't a plus defensive position. I think he's going to end up being a DH down the line. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's already at 192 career home runs, so he's pacing very well, where if he becomes more of a first base DH type, down the line, he can sit there and compile three, four, five hundred career home runs, no doubt. But what's the value of a guy that does that? Because he's going to want Aaron Judge type money. I'm your Aaron Judge. Well, Aaron Judge can play center field at his size. Aaron Judge can win gold gloves. Aaron Judge can win MVPs because he is valuable. He runs the bases well. Pete Alonso is a pure gritty slugger and I don't know what's going to happen Jeff McNeil said that he wants to be a Met but do the Mets want to hand out that contract what will that contract look like I think that's one of the bigger storylines because if they're not going to extend him he is going into those final years of arbitration he's getting antsy And while they haven't went to any hearings disagreeing about his value during arbitration, I guarantee you when they sit down for extension talks, they are not on the same page. So will the Mets re-sign Pete Alonzo and keep their face of the franchise there? I don't think so. You already have that Francisco Lindor contract, which is huge. But the benefit of Francisco Lindor is that he's actually living up to the contract. He is a true star, and I believe if Pete Alonso ends up leaving the Mets, 
which is looking more likely than not, Francisco Lindor will go down as the better Met by the end of it. It'll be close if he stays, but Francisco Lindor, I think the trade ended up looking scary at first. It looks like a clear win now. The contract's a lot of money. They haven't had a lot of wins. But for what he's doing at the shortstop position with the glove and with the bat, he's going to be probably a Hall of Famer. And I think right now Alonzo is still the face of the team in a lot of ways. Uh, but maybe that polar bear gets off of Lindor's back. And we see what the Mets do going forward. They said they want to compete in 2025. Uh, I don't know what that looks like for them, but let's see if Pete Alonso is part of the solution for New York. There were a lot of options here at the Solo Shot Source podcast. We like to throw it back down the third base line to this day in baseball history. And there were a lot of options for February 3rd. Uh, there were some Hall of Fame inductions. There was trades of Hall of Famers, Rod Carew to the California Angels, where he was known for that very thick red headband. There was Al Spaulding of the Spaulding Company starting his sporting good brand in 1886 for $800. Most of you know Spaulding, the gloves, the basketballs. Like It's a pretty big sporting good brand to this day. That was started back in the 1880s on this day. There were guys in the Hall of Fame that were having suspensions. Uh, Lou Boudreau, obviously, from the University of Illinois, was taking illegal payments from the Indians uh, while he was still playing college. Uh, So that was a suspension that was handed out. And the Baseball Hall of Fame elected guys like Billy Herman, Earl Averill, Bucky Harris, uh, Martin DeHigo, and John Pop Lloyd, who Babe Ruth said is the best player he's ever watched. Into the Hall of Fame on different years. But in honor of Black History Month, I could not ignore the coincidence that the first episode of the month falls on the anniversary of the birth of the Negro National League. Now, some context for all of you out here that aren't as familiar about black baseball pre-integration. In 1886, there was the Southern League for Colored Baseballists, and that was the first Negro League. Baseball was originally played as an amateur athletic club back in that day, uh, and after the Civil War, the popularity just started to continue to increase all the way to 1868 when baseball became professional. Back then, there were all white teams. There were all black teams. There were mixed teams. But over time, that did not continue to be the case as the National Association of Baseball Players prohibited black players from playing in their league. And that just allowed all the talented black players of that day to say, hey, if you won't let us play with you, we are going to organize our own leagues. And that was when there were the first black professional teams, the Cuban Giants, uh, 
were a newly formed black team in 1885. Uh, and 1920, on this date, February 3rd, is when the first Negro National League was established. That year, Chicago American Giants owner Rube Foster, who's also a baseball Hall of Famer, known as the father of black baseball, founded the Negro National League, which consisted of eight franchises at the time, the Chicago Giants, the Cuban Stars, the Dayton Macros, the Detroit Stars, the Indianapolis ABCs, the Kansas City American Giants, and the Kansas City Monarchs and St. Louis Giants. As you can see there, they had two sets of Giants. They had two sets of Stars. But what have you? They had an eight-team league. And... Although there were branches off in 1923, Ed Bolden formed the Eastern Colored League. Uh, and these two leagues both thrived simultaneously for years in baseball. Uh, but the Negro National League was the place for the best black players in the States to play day in, day out. And because of baseball not allowing these players to integrate and play amongst the other deserving white players. There were players such as Josh Gibson, Oscar Charleston, who never played in the major leagues. There were players like Monty Irvin and Satchel Paige who didn't get to the major leagues till they were already pretty old. And then in 1947, Jackie Robinson was the first black player to integrate and play in the major leagues after that integration was successful and Larry Doby came over that same season, Satchel Paige came over the Negro national league started to get devoid of its talent. It was getting all their best players siphoned to the major leagues and eventually dissolved seven years later. But Rube Foster, he's considered the father of black baseball in America for many reasons, but I don't think there is a better reason to call him that than starting the Negro National League on this date in 1920. It's so crazy to think about that now, uh, the forming of those leagues and why they had to be formed and the names they came up with, but it's part of our history and these players were deserving then they are deserving now. And I'm glad that despite all the ignorance in professional baseball at the time, that the talented black players found a way to keep playing the game. They love at a professional level in front of fans and eventually into the major leagues as well. One last thing before I get out of here, the Red Sox have announced that former World Series founder Theo Epstein is being added to the Fenway Sports Group as a partial ownership. When I first read this, I was ecstatic. I was saying things that were just completely irrational but the one thing i said i will stick with and this is the highlight of the red sox offseason 
Because when you think about this realistically, it has been empty throttle. It has been not, it has been the complete opposite of full throttle. It's been really depressing watching them cut payroll and uh, do it after the season tickets are closed and all the shady things that are going on over in Boston. But when you can bring in, despite all those failures, especially recently, when you can bring in a guy like Theo Epstein, who not only the fan base loves and adores, but the rest of Major League Baseball respects. This is a guy who's a future Hall of Famer, can get a deal done with anybody, and is one of the most sharp baseball minds uh, that we have seen this century. To come back, I know you had to give him ownership stake, but to come back and be a part of it, even if it's going to be a small part, he's got to help them with all their other investments, which there are many, including a PGA one that is very recent. But I know that Theo will care about helping the Red Sox. And it might not be this year. It might not even be next year. But I do know that there will be a time when the Red Sox are recruiting a free agent or making a trade and Theo Epstein will be the difference. And that alone is the most excitement I've gotten this entire offseason as a Red Sox fan. There's been a ton of excitement as a baseball fan, the biggest player going to the biggest market, the Orioles selling the team and finally making moves and everything in between. But some people were going, so you're saying there's a chance? There's no chance in 2024 for these Boston Red Sox to be the best. But yeah, drop a little 04 magic in there and maybe best case scenario, they have a, a little run like a team out in the desert did in 2023. I appreciate all of you for sticking through here, all the real information and all the, uh, the fun hypotheticals at the end. I appreciate each and every one of you for spending part of your week with me, especially those of you that were here live in the chat. I hope you guys have an amazing solo shot Saturday. Great rest of your week. And I will see you guys Super Bowl weekend next week. Peace.